0: Right, welcome back to the Fear and Trembling podcast. Uh, this is Aaron Vanderveen. I'm the campus pastor for Watershed slash. I don't know. Am I the producer? Uh, fill me in. Yeah, no. I. You got that yeah,
1: magic board in front I, of you. So. I, I do.
0: I have a lot of control, but no. <laughs> with me, I have uh, friends. As always, I'm gonna toss it Send over. It around. Send it around um, yeah. first to uh, you, Bill. My name is Bill. I'm the pastor, campus pastor at
2: Celebration.
1: I'm JB, campus pastor at Fusion.
3: I'm Darwin Glassford, the executive pastor here at Hardwick Ministries. And joining us this morning is um, Dee Stahl. And Dee is our Compassionate Care Coordinator here <laughs> at morning, Hardwick Dee. Ministries. Good morning, Dee. It's Monday. And um, we're glad to have her with us as we explore this book together. Welcome, D. Welcome, Dee. Thanks for inviting me, guys.
4: Happy to be here with you. It is good despite, to be, yeah. nerves. Oh. despite nerves.
0: Despite nerves, <laughs> yeah, because being around us is it, uh, a very nerve wracking experience, it, isn't it? Yep, it, yeah. it can be
4: sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, uh. thanks
0: for joining us, Dee. Um, Bill, you you're the you're the one who brought us this book for this month, Prayer in the Night. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you. Sure. Let me pick up the the name of the book is "Prayer in the Night for Those
2: Who Work or Watch or Weep," and the author Tish Harrison Warren um, is a great writer, a great storyteller, and with a great relationship and depth of Christ to to share with us. Let me give you a little background about her. The more of her stuff I've read over the years, the more intrigued I am. She's a native Texas Texan with Baptist roots and a long and interesting journey through a variety of influences. She mentions Hunter and Hunter's wife, Julia, and that's when I realized that she's been touched by the uh, Jack Miller, Grace Resurgence, World Harvest mission that's been so pivotal in my life. She was also a campus minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Vanderbilt University for a number of years. Now she's married and a mother of three children, and someone close to me in my life fits that same uh, category where she's quite unique, both she and her husband Jonathan are ordained priests. She has served in Pittsburgh and now in Austin with the Anglican Church in America, North America, and I had to go look that up. That's a denomination mostly of U.S. and Canadian churches, about 1,000 churches and 100, 125,000 members. Many of them have separated from the American Episcopal Church to continue a more historic and conservative Anglican ministry. It's very interesting to me the way she brings this depth of Christian history and knowledge and experience through all her contacts and now is writing. She's a key writer for Christianity Today and now she's also doing weekly columns in the New York Times. This book is about a particular prayer in the Anglican liturgy or the prayers they offer. It's one of the prayers through the course of the day, and it's the last one of the day. It's how they pray at the end of the day. It's formed her prayers. Um, And let me read the prayer to you because it forms the backbone of the book. The prayer goes like this. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen and amen. Each of those clauses or lines forms a chapter in the book where she meditates, tells stories, and shows how that line informs her life and guides her prayers. So Uh, That's the way it's organized. She says about the book that this book is how to continue to walk with faith without denying the darkness. It's about the terrible yet common suffering we each shoulder and what trusting God might mean in the midst of it. So she deals forthrightly with some of the suffering we face, the fear, the vulnerability, the challenge of a day, and how to end. In God's grace with that. So that's kind of her and the outline of the book. Um, I'm just going to include all of us in an open conversation from our own reading. Uh, let me start with a...
0: Well, well, Bill, first I've got a question. Oh, okay, this is sorry. a really important question.
2: I'm scared for what,
0: it. What's the name of the prayer?
2: Oh, we were discussing how to pronounce <laughs> it. So the, you'll hear two different pronunciations. Compline. Compline is what the internet pronounced it as.
0: <laughs> okay. So we're taking right, that as right. an
2: authority because everything on the internet is, eh, it was a good dictionary that gave <laughs> us the pronunciation. So we're trusting that. Not so compline, not compline? compline. I, you know, potato, I, potato, I, I, no. <laughs> I love you, Aaron. We'll go either way. And I'll probably use those two pronunciations and another one myself. So yeah, you, who can tell? We'll I, tend make to, one up. <laughs> I tend to
0: improvise in the uh, moment. Oh, how quickly we get off track. go. Now you can lead us into the real question. I'm handing it in. So it's
2: the prayer of Compline. um, At the end of each day, uh, this became a key part of our life. Let me just toss it out and we'll interact. Was there a particular phrase of the Compline that captured your attention or perhaps a particular chapter in the book built around that for either your ministry or for your prayer life? What was your favorite phrase there? Hmm. Oh, I hear some meditating from Darwin. Somebody step in.
3: <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I will. I will step in. Um, I found this book um, incredibly fascinating and intriguing. And yet, when Bill asked um, us to think about what a phrase or a thing that we underlined captured our imagination, um, my mind actually kind of went blank because it all just kind of felt about the same weight. Um, each chapter it was yeah, like interesting. I, yeah. I read through and was like, "Yeah, I get it. I get it." But I think one of the things that um, really stood out to me was actually early on, um, and, and she wrote this, um, after talking about the Odyssey and the problem of evil and that if you – only if you believe in God do you have a problem with evil. Right. Which is – it was a fascinating thing to think about. Um, and in my my brain, wanted to go down that rabbit hole, but I will avoid that. Um, well, it,
2: it's interesting. Her point there was that if you don't believe in God, yeah. then you just expect evil.
3: Yeah, and you just deal with it. It's very, part of the package. Yeah. yeah, But I think on page 29, she, she wrote this, and this is what kind of stuck with me through all the chapters. Um, mysteriously, God does not take away our vulnerability. He enters into it. Does not take away our vulnerability he he enters into it and and when I first read that both i um my my initial reaction was one of relief um and then one of fear mm. and and the fear came about because um in places that I'm vulnerable, I really don't want anybody in that part of my life, including God, okay, because it's just scary. And yet, as she as she writes and and um, and explores that that this is a prayer um, for the night, and and she talked about the weight of darkness and the yeah. weight of night, and how during night um, many of the things that concern us during the day begin to bear the weight bears down on us because there's not distractions. That the night is actually, um, in talking about the homelessness, is is. Is heavy. It's 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 well. It's dark. Yeah. And what's
2: what's under the bed?
3: What's what's under the bed? And and so it was. It, so that state that that in in the darkness of the night, God enters into our vulnerability, um, realizing that it's at night that we're actually the most vulnerable. Yeah. The forces outside of our control. That's why when a tree falls in our woods, the tree falls in the woods next to our house. My wife springs up in reaction. Okay. Because she she doesn't can't make sense of that sound. Unlike me who just sleeps through it. Um, <laughs> so that yeah. that's kind of what jumped out at me.
2: Okay, vulnerability. Who had another word or chapter?
0: I was just intrigued by the your angels um when it says um, I've gotta I've actually gotta find it. And give your angels charge over those who sleep. You know, and I remember, and she talks about that a little bit too, just as a mm-hmm. parent. And um, I know later in the, in later chapters as well as um, given a little icon, you know, um, to pray through and just thinking about the fact that, yeah, the angelic hosts, God's, you've got not just God's protection, but all of the, the angels surrounding you of, in that vulnerability. And that's, that even... Darwin and what you were talking about got me thinking of going just to know that it's not just God on our side, but that we have that angelic hosts. We have the company of heaven um, that we're, we're inviting to surround people and and to know that God in goodness, I mean, throughout the whole book, you know, she wrestles with that whole, and we can, we'll talk about this later, but um, just, you got to believe whether or not God's good. Right. Right. And, None of this works if we don't believe that God is good, right. um otherwise, what does any of this prayer matter yeah. or mean you know our our picture of God, and so if we believe in a good God that God would send the the hosts of heaven that make the amount of people on this earth you know minuscule in comparison. <laughs> Um, and again, in her sort of, I mean, her writing is really intriguing, you know I mean? It's captivating for, at Mm -hmm. least for me, this is the kind of book that keeps me coming back. And I actually tried listening to a book for once versus reading it. I went back to reading, but you know, just even listening, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, this is like a good, she writes like a good novelist. Yeah. She draws
2: you in. And there was a great chap, uh, term in that chapter. I loved how she talked about the crowded cosmos, yeah. that there's more to reality than just what we see, that mm-hmm. imagine. And, yeah. and she went back in, in history and looked at times when folks conceived of the world as bumping into unseen yeah. realities <laughs> and things. I'm thinking, whoa, that's intriguing. Mm-hmm. The crowded cosmos. Mm-hmm. We are not alone. And some of it is actually good and helpful.
4: Right. Yeah. So good. Somebody else – I was struck by the um, phrase "Give rest mm. to the weary mm. um and that actually really that whole chapter chapter eight um, of the whole book okay um, that whole book really or that whole chapter really spoke to me about um, uh, just how when you're weary, it's not just your body or your soul, or your mind. It's all of those things that are weary. Mm. And um, when you're in that space is probably, uh, it, for me, in my experience, and I think clearly in her experience and um, what she has uh, shared with us here, is that you, you just don't know where to go when it comes to prayer. And um, so that's when this Compline prayer um, comes into Play right, like I, um, I grew up uh, in a Catholic background, and so I knew all, all these um, prayers that were um, prayers that you learned that you memorized. I didn't know that you could pray a personal prayer to Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, from my heart, and so um, uh, going back now. Now that I am have learned that I can have a conversation with God, and it doesn't—it's not um, this prayer that I read out of a book. Now I feel like I have that permission. Maybe if that makes sense, sure. To when I am weary, when my soul just is buried deep, um, when my mind does not know where to go in the silence, it's. This prayer of Compline, these prayers that the church have given us, are a wonderful thing for us to fall on when we don't know where else to go.
2: Yeah, she talks about them as a support Mm -hmm. and a training. Mm -hmm. I had a background much like yours in that I read these meaningless—and a friend of hers called it other people's prayers but uh Tish helped me begin to see, wait a minute, these can be prayers that train me and that when I'm too tired to pray or don't know how to pray, here's the riches of the ages helping me along, carrying me. Mm-hmm. And she she talks about that, that sort of thing, that we can get trained. Mm-hmm. It takes more than just reading them, I think, because my, my previous experience was real, but this is a way to train me in how to pray, and it was a, that was a very enriching thing for me too. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I know that was one of the biggest takeaways for me. Just that, and that was all in kind of the opener. Yeah, that other people's prayers, and because I grew up where it's like, you know, you got to come up with your own words, and then and now as a pastor, it's like, <laughs> yeah. like that's what we do. You know, have got to be it's really like it's, it's, good at yeah, it. Yeah, it's got to be <laughs> flowery, uh, you know. And uh, there was something really freeing in in exactly what you said, Dee. Yeah. Like to be able to lean in the wor- into the words that others who have gone before me, and that God can form, and I, I actually this morning grabbed my book of common prayer off my shelf and like ah. let's let's check this out. I I, yeah. don't, I don't I don't I don't know what yeah. it'll, where it will lead, but there's there's yeah. something something to that.
3: So yeah, I I think there's a rhythm to it. I mean, I think this is um, what is intriguing to me is, is I grew up like the rest of you all, you know reading other people's prayers was considered somehow less than authentic. Yeah. Um, never wrestled with how to enter into a written prayer or to someone else's prayer. I think that's why this book was helpful since it, it helped me to enter into this prayer um, and, and what's going on. But what, what also struck me with it, and since J.B. mentioned it, the Book of Common Prayer, um, <laughs> is, is that it is really – countercultural in the sense that it's saying there's sacred time. This is God's world and there's sacred time. And the practices in, in the Book of Common Prayer and the practices in the church that she's a part of, the Anglican Church of North America, is about not being skewed by um, um, time that is generated by a technological universe moving at this pace, that there's a different Pace of life, yeah. it's a different timing, and and I think what the Book of Common Prayer does, and actually what this prayer reminded me of, is just the need to slow down, not to slow down just to be slow, but to give room to have, find space for for God to break in and 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 make Himself known. You know, even in the darkness of the night, yeah, which your prayer invites you into.
2: When I'm most vulnerable, the the
0: word that comes to my mind is awareness. Yeah, Yeah. it's not only awareness of God, but awareness of the world in which we live and those we're in community and life with. When so often my prayers can be so very individualistic, and even for a small, very small group of people that I'm connected to, whereas this can that awareness in that time, that spacing. Right helps us see that, yeah, it's God in God's kingdom, and like the Psalms, right? And this comes in the great tradition of the Psalms, Psalms, which is our tradition. (laughs) Yeah, and she
2: she brings in those Psalms in cool ways. Let me read you a quote uh, where she expresses exactly what we're pointing to. It's on page 87. She says, In times of deep pain in my own life, the belief of the church has carried me. When we confess in the creeds in worship— We don't say, I believe in God the Father, because some weeks I do believe in God the Father, but in some other weeks I just cannot climb that high. Instead, we say, we believe. Belief isn't a feeling inside of us, but a reality outside of us into which we enter. And when we find our faith faltering, sometimes all we can do is fall on the church of the saints. We believe together. Boy, I... I was thinking about that Sunday as we joined. There are times that each one of us enters into the room and we're just not there, but we're received and we're part of something bigger that carries us. And she really helped me see that in a neat way. And
1: I I, just as as you talk about all those things, like for me, like I am – I'm a child of this culture because I'll find myself in those times, not resting on the shared belief of the church or I'll distract myself into mm. oblivion. You know, I'll just, I'll just keep watching things and make my mind not think about the things that are hard. And she shared this story. Right. I can't remember where, where there was this guy and he went on a silent retreat, I think. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden yeah. in the silence, he found himself like weeping because he finally faced, you know, at the core some of the pain that he exp-
0: I mean, that he was he was purposefully sort of distracting himself yeah, from. Yeah. Right. And
1: I so res like I will I will I I will watch you know videos on excavating marble or cooking steaks you know just for hours upon hours. And so yeah, to have these rhythms where I slow down, uh, and and instead zero in on on the the shared faith of two millennia I mean I don't know there, there was something so compelling in all that yeah
2: um, and you know you say that that very thing happened to me after Easter mm. we get through that huge rush and it's like everything stops and some grief things that I'd been putting off and avoiding in my life just ran right in and danced all over my heart and I'm I was so thankful I'm reading this book mm. and she keeps saying there's something bigger than you mm. It
3: reminds me of why I think um communal prayer is so so important, yeah, um our practice on Wednesday night of doing the Lord's Prayer together as a community every every week um is a really powerful practice, I think it's a whole lot more formative than we actually believe it is, yeah but it but it's its formative influence isn't seen until someone is alone in the darkness and doesn't know what to pray, yeah. And that comes to mind, yeah. Um, and and I think partially in our our background and our traditions, we've downplayed those kind of corporate things, kind of corporate prayer where we we learn a prayer together as a community, and it's what it's just part of what it means to be a part of a community, yeah. Um, and you know, I think in this book, it, um, her prayer serves that way role too in a very different way. Um. But that as a community, that the prayers that we have in common are really, really important.
2: Yeah. I, w- I was thankful, too, about the way she took the Compline and then kind of used that as a framework. So you, you take that phrase and what does it mean to pray for those who weep mm-hmm. and to meditate on that. So it was not only the the content of the prayer itself, but it was the framework that guided the prayer mm-hmm. and to hold those things together. I mean, haven't we all— I walked into a worship service a little bit late and they're already singing and you just hear this hymn or this uh, worship song this moment and you just think oh this draws me in lifts me up encourages me gets me closer to jesus by getting in the middle of these folks
0: right
2: sure. um we've done a couple of quotes and a couple of pointing to things but I find myself using some of her stories in sermons. What's a story from what we read in this book that you'll want to share in ministry or with somebody else?
0: Yeah, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it goes back to something I was saying earlier, but uh, early on in the book, and it was uh, page 27. And, and Bill, you actually mentioned their uh, names, Hunter and Julie, sure. uh, friends of hers. And they were going in and their son to have surgery on their son. Um, and Julie looked at Hunter, her husband and said, we have to decide right now whether or not God is good. Because if we wait to determine that by the results of this surgery, we will always keep God on trial. And so that whole kind of conversation, um, you know, came out of that and, and, and Tish continues, you know, as she, she writes and then, um, kind of brings it towards the end, um, when Julie sat in the hospital in waiting room with surgeons carved her son's tender skin, she committed Uh-oh. herself to deciding whether whether God could be trusted, regardless of regardless of the results of the surgery. She had to decide if she believed these claims that Christianity makes about God's goodness. She quit the poker game. I love that image. Right? <laughs> she quit the poker game. Folded her cards and decided to trust a God who did not guarantee that bad things would not happen to her son, to her or her son. But this wasn't an arbitrary decision. And I love this is how Tish writes, right? It wasn't an arbitrary decision, not a leap in the dark. She was not simply ratcheting herself up to affirm the goodness of God, right? In spite of contrary evidence, she did look to evidence though not the evidence of her life nor the tally of the total amount of good in the world versus the total amount of evil instead she looked at the life of Jesus it's on this story that she anchored her decision about whether she would trust god without knowing what would happen next you know and again just that gospel perspective of going i do have something i can look at in god yeah and it is jesus you know, the need for Christ to come into the world, the, and she'll talk throughout, right. All of this book, how important the stone rolled away Mm -hmm. is how, you know, we've celebrated Easter. Why the hope of the resurrection is so incredibly important. Um, Because without, without Jesus, we'll have a lot more tendency to play the poker game. Even with Jesus, I play the poker game. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) And I do the tallying, but I just, that, that story still today is just captivates me. Um, yeah,
2: it, it's powerful. Isn't it we look at circumstances and we think, for God to be good, this has to happen. I have right. to have this outcome in the short term, and sometimes there are hard things in the short term. But yeah. God is still good, and that's what gives us a hope into the long term. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You think? Yeah.
3: Well, it's part of what we're invited into. Um, when we 're asked to walk by faith, I, mean, I think this is really critical and a point here that, that she does is that um, when when things happen tragedy and in, in, in life and and things go unexpected, you either walk by faith and you say as Christians, mm. God is good, he is holy, and he is just." From my limited perspective, I cannot make sense of this. Sure. So, so therefore, I'm going to trust in that even though from a human vantage point, none of this makes sense. I think it's really interesting to me that the number of times when we do try to make sense in those situations, we end up making God, describing God as something less than God. Yeah. And, and we try to control the circumstances for our own comfort. But ultimately, our comfort only comes in the cross and recognizing that God is God yeah. and that that at times we are called to walk by faith and trust him, which means that we can't explain why something happened. Yeah.
2: It, it's interesting. It, it is about control and about the why yeah. and the long term. Yeah. Gosh. Another story. Something that strikes you.
4: I loved the story about um, – which it made me chuckle, I have to say, before I actually thought uh, thought about it and um, <laughs> realized what was supposed what was supposed <laughs> to be hitting me in the story. But she talks about um, when she was in church on Ash Wednesday, and as a ten year old little yeah, girl, yeah. and there was a another young woman next to her with her mom, and uh, that young. Gal said to her mom after receiving her ashes, something like, um, do I look okay with these ashes on my head? And Tish just laughed because really, do you do you look okay with ash smudged on your forehead? <laughs> Probably not, right? But even in that vulnerable state, um, we want to look good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, even when we're struggling, when we're selfish and we're... And we're in sin, we still want to look good. Um, (laughs) And we want to know if that smudge on our forehead looked good on us. That just, um, that spot of vulnerability that you're in just really struck me. But the story made me chuckle. And then then as I uh, read more into it, then. It, it wasn't quite so funny, but because it's reality,
2: right, yeah, like we're always we're... trying to
3: manage our image, mm-hmm. aren't we? yep
4: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then she I think it was there that she was talking about even the things we do share, like we'll share things that'll make us actually look better early, like, like, I'll share this struggle because then you'll know i'm I'm the right kind of sinner yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. Like, oh
2: yeah it uh, it's tough. But she's very real and very honest, and I mean, there's so many stories that that we could dig into with this. Shall I close with just one?
0: A a real, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can hear hear a few more stories. Okay,
2: boy, I'm getting the thing. This was a favorite prayer of mine. I have a brother-in-law who's a surgeon, and he um, sees his work as a surgeon as a ministry. And in the chapter, those who work, uh, Tish has this fascinating. Uh, idea about competitive agency. Who's at work here? Is it God or is it us? And she challenges us. We can falsely pit prayer and work against each other as if one makes the other necessary. But she tells a great story and, and a prayer that I'll share with you here. One perk of serving as a priest in a parish near the teaching hospitals and universities is that I regularly get a front row See to watch some of the world's smartest people embrace prayer and redemptive work together. One friend and parishioner, Noel, has trained and studied for decades to be among a few dozen doctors in the United States who can do the kind of pediatric surgery he does. It's complex, intense, exhausting. But in the course of a 10-hour surgery, you will see him take a break at his hospital locker and listen to this prayer. Grant me, O Lord, for your sake, through the work of your Holy Spirit, love for my patient, joy in my in participating in this work, peace as I follow your lead, patience in the trying times of this case, kindness to all in the room, goodness in this difficult task, faithfulness to have integrity in the details, even when no one else but you sees them— and self-control that my own sins of anger, anxiety, and vainglory should not mar my judgment. He prays for his patient by name, and then he scrubs back in and continues surgery. That's a way to work, isn't it? He's praying about the fruit of the Holy Spirit and exactly what he's trained to do and gives his life to.
1: I love that too. I mean that there's there's this false dichotomy yeah. it's the work of God or the work of man and and when the reality is it's both, you know. Yeah. I remember taking a trip to Chiapas, Mexico with Vernon and Carla Stirk from the seminary. Yep. And yep. We visited these little they had these um, outposts, like kind of medical outposts, and the doctor there said even when we give a, someone Tylenol for a headache, we'll pray that God would heal them. Maybe through the Tylenol, or you know, and yeah. he just blew up that whole dichotomy for me. Um, another story from the book. Yeah. I, I, this was just so on page one forty one, uh, talking about caring for people, um, and she says, "What's harder for us though is walking with those with long term need." Mm-hmm. She says, "You need five meals after a hip replacement? We got you." You need three meals a week for the next 10 years? We have no idea how to make that happen. <laughs> and she goes on to say, like, we have limited resources right. as the church, but I just remember um, the difficulty. Um, and she says, this hints at a deeper struggle in the broader church, at least in the United States, that makes it hard for us to suffer with the afflicted. We often don't know how to walk with people when the road is long and there will likely be no happy ending. Um, it just... Not that I had an answer to it, but it just stirred my imagination like how do we how do we walk well um, with people when we don't have the quick fix yeah and, uh, and 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 that's so important to do I mean it's one of the ministries of the church and um, anyway I just
2: yeah you, it, it's a it's a real press in a real situation it kind of leaves you yeah. hard pressed. Well, that gets a lot of good stuff, and we yeah, could yeah. go on and on, just <laughs> just on and on reading. One of the th- things we'd thought to do was just read around the circle. What we'd underlined, imagine um, you could go on for hours and <laughs> hours. Yeah, yeah. Aaron's
0: eyes just popped. I was up. I was yeah. doing the math, right, <laughs> producer One, Aaron. Yeah. If there's five of us and yeah. we have three underlined, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it
2: would kill us. But for those of you reading, this is a book I would recommend to anyone to read. Some it's good to know the what they're talking about, and learn from him. others. This is a book you'll want to go back to time and time again, don't you think?
0: Yeah, and, and i would just wondering, D. you know, I don't want to put you on this spot, but I'm putting you on this spot. Here we go. Spot. But, sure. you know, yeah. <laughs> as your, I mean, part of your ministry here is compassionate care and prayer. I mean, if there was something that you could— say about this book in regards to that ministry, Mm -hmm. like what would you, what would you highlight?
4: Um, Silence again, Mm -hmm. Um, just resting in what you're in and that you don't have to have words to pray. You can rest in the silence and God fills in that space for you when you don't know where to go or what Mm -hmm. to say. That's awesome. Um, I want to tell you guys I'm glad you invited me to this book because <laughs> I, I could read it and I didn't have to look up a, a word every two sentences to figure out what I was reading. Okay. So okay. It's, a, it's an a, excellent book, so thanks for inviting me to this one.
3: (laughs) Are you implying something about our other books?
4: Well, I'm implying I probably would have to look up every other sentence, a word (laughs) in every other sentence to figure out what it was saying to me.
0: Uh, I'll I'll use that as a shameless transition. I'm I'm thinking she mightn't be happy she's not reading The End of Youth Ministry by Andrew Root.
4: I'm probably guessing that as well. Yeah, Maybe.
0: (laughs) However, it'll the, be a great <laughs> podcast for you to
2: get into the book, but then you won't have to read it. I'll right? just yeah. listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. So That's go. why we serve this way.
0: <laughs> no, we, we definitely hope that you um, pick up a copy. I mean, this is, again, one of those books that it, it's it is a it's an easier read. Um, it's something you can rent on your Hoopla account with the Herrick District Library and listen into because cool. um, I actually tried. So, <laughs> so I, would, I would say it's easy to read, but
3: be careful there because right. it, it's it's going to mess with you. Yeah, right. It'll yeah. wreck so you. It's, it, it, so it's easy to read, but it's going to mess with you. And so you know if you don't want to be messed with, yeah, I, I wouldn't read it. She'll call you yep. to a deeper life. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
2: She'll call you to a different place.
0: So again, Tish Harrison Warren is the, the author. Um, she also she's al- also the author of Liturgy of the Ordinary, uh, yeah. which I've read that book. It's it, mm-hmm. that's a, a great read as well. But uh, this book, Prayer in the Night, for those who work or watch or weep. Um, then on the next podcast, we're going to have another guest with us. We kind of yes. have a run of of guests yes. here and. Uh, We'll we'll leave we'll leave you hanging on who that might be, but uh, the book we're going to be diving into, the end of youth ministry, and then the subtitle: Why parents don't really care about youth groups and what youth workers should do about it, by Andrew <laughs> oh, Root, oh, uh-huh. um, Darwin. Uh, little one minute, two minute, you know, synopsis. You're you're bringing this one to us.
3: Yeah. So. Um- So Andy Andy Root, who who teaches at Bethel, um, is quite a prolific author. He's done a lot of work um, on the impact of secularism in the church and um, looking at um, taking some of his ideas on secularism and relational ministry um, and really helping us – trying to help us understand um, the climate and culture that we're navigating. I think it's easy to title to say he's going to indict something here. Um, he doesn't really indict as much as he um, does a wonderful job often of of describing the cultural landscape we're having to navigate, which is in itself often vis- disconcerting. Sure. Um, but as, as Max Dupree said, one, the first task of a leader is to define reality. <laughs> um, I think Andy Root does a, a wonderful job of helping us to wrestle with what reality looks like and some of the challenges. Um, and so as he looks at the end of youth ministry— um, basically, he's uh, describing the cultural challenges we're going to face and helping us develop a trajectory forward. Great.
0: All right. Well, um, again, for those of us around the table, for D, for Darwin, for JB, for Bill, uh, we want to say God bless and thanks for joining us. Yep.
2: All righty.